save big money, and start your spring project with help from Menards. We offer a huge selection of body plants, veggies, and herbs to plant at home and grow yourself. Right now, all four and a half inch Bonnie plants are on sale through May 5th. Head to the Menards Garden Center to get your garden growing and check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. This on? Hello? Hello? We're all science people. Science! Exactly. Evolution does some pretty funky things. There's chemistry in here. There's biology in here. The old question in science is how do you know that? Achievement equals skill times effort. That's the recipe for success. I'm about to show you something so cool it'll blow your mind. We can make the world better for everybody. Starting now. Welcome, welcome to Science Rules. I'm your host, Bill Nye. This is the show where science rules. It's a call-in show if you want to be on the show, and I hope you do. Leave us a voicemail at 201-472-0785 or go to your homepage, askbillnye.com. You can also check me out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to find out about our upcoming guests and who they're going to be. And today I am joined once again by science writer, editor, and dear friend, seriously, dear friend, Corey S. Powell. Greetings, Corey. Oh, greetings, Bill. Now, Bill, what do I love? Uh, I mean, you. Obviously, I love you. But what sure. else do I love? Uh, science. Yeah, I love science. I, lo- I love science education. Uh, I love science fiction movies. Science fiction. Uh, I, lo- I like taking care of the environment, being being environmentally You're all aware. That. You and, are all that. Uh, all those things. It. So uh, I'm thinking, what could be better on this show than a leading actor who is a published scientist and who is an advocate for environmental causes for green causes i can't think of anything better can you i i'm stumped i'm stumped by process of elimination it's <laughs> got to be just one person today our guest my friends is natalie portman you've seen her in the star wars prequels the thor movies garden state black swan and a whole bunch of other things and as i'm sure you all know she has a degree in psychology from harvard which is a pretty good school back east someplace Some say. and just to refresh you on the titles of her paper she is the co-author of a simple method to demonstrate the enzymatic production of hydrogen from sugar published in the journal of chemical education and frontal lobe activation during object permanence data from near infrared spectroscopy which was in the uh, journal of Neuroimage. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. Natalie. Natalie Portman, welcome to Science Rules. Hi. Uh, may I call you Natalie? Uh, yes, please. Hi. So glad to be here. Such an admirer of oh, yours that's, and of the podcast. Cool. So you love science. Who doesn't? Uh, yes. Can we just start with this? How did you fall in love with science? Well, I think I kind of grew up with it because my father is a doctor. He's uh, a fertility specialist. And so just the way he talked about everything at the science, about science, you know, 
at the dinner table growing up. Uh, Talked about me... gynecology at the dinner table? <laughs> um, I had quite an extensive knowledge of how babies were made from very early on, for sure. But um, yeah, there was always talk about his day and, you know, how they did an egg retrieval or how they were using ICSI to, you know, insert a sperm in vitro. So was your father one of the early people involved with in vitro fertilization? It sounds like he must have been. I guess he was definitely in the first generation of doctors because, um, yeah, I mean, I'm born in 81 and he was in his fertility training, I guess, when I was around 10. So early 90s. So these conversations did not gross you out. Instead, they intrigued you. Yeah, and definitely inspired some very unusual science projects at school. That leads us to what was an interesting one besides uh, our good friend, uh, enzymatic production of hydrogen from sugar. Well, that was, yeah, that was my kind of high school big science project, which was um, using kind of uh, tra trash, like carbohydrate trash, um, as potential fuel that you could like, you know, in a dream future, stuff your old newspaper into your car and have it run, of course, because the the breakdown of the sugars releases yeah, hydrogen. So, right. So uh, I'm just serious. Was that a good idea? Is that, is yeah, that I mean, it had sense? the kind of kernel of it, like when the you could speed up the breakdown of the sugar with the enzyme and it would release it would release hydrogen, which, of course, we know can fuel cars. So it had the, the kind of kernel of uh, something possible. So, yeah, you're into biofuels. <laughs> you were ahead of your time. No, really. And, and so you got hooked on science and you got hooked on environmentalism all at once. And that sounds like that first high school paper was kind of along that line. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was a, a very early vegetarian when I was nine years old, I became vegetarian. It was more out of animal concern. And then I think over time it, it grew into environmentalism uh, alongside. See, it grew. See what she did there? It grew. <laughs> the plants grew into environmentalism. Yes. But that's interesting. So you became a vegetarian when you were nine and it stuck. You kept with it pretty much ever since. Yes. Um, yes. I, I, only changed. I became vegan uh, when I was 30. So that's the only uh, alteration in that time. But um, it was very influenced by a friend of mine and her family who were vegetarian when I was nine. And then later on, I started understanding about the environmental impact of animal farming alongside many other human impacts. And um, that became a guiding reason, guiding reasons, I should say, alongside animal welfare. So you're doing environmentalism. You have an interest in science. Your father was a scientist. Your mother's very supportive. But at some point, you decided to be a storyteller or an actor, right? Mm -hmm. Was there a moment? Was there, a, a, in my case, just to talk some more about me, I quit my engineering job October 3rd, 1986, roughly, to try to write comedy. But it was many months of, of wondering whether or not it was the right thing. Did you have that or was it just clear? Well, I started acting professionally when I was 11, so I think that almost predated the scientific interest, and I feel like the science was more, I think it was more like my father's influence and just living around it, and I was always interested in it, but definitely my passion was always in acting, but I think that there's something that aligns art and science in that it's a wonder for the world. Like it's just kind of appreciating the magic of, of the world, whether it's in 
human behavior or whether it's the way a, a flower grows, you know, it's, it's just kind of recognizing the, the magic of, of, and weirdness of life. <laughs> right. But then you were acting and then you paused and you went to that school uh, up in, up in Boston, I think. I'm just wondering, given that passion for, for acting and for storytelling that you already had, it seems like, did you, were you second guessing or were you thinking that you wanted to kind of maintain some balance in your life that you, you, know, you, you went to college, you got a psychology degree, you did another academic paper. I mean, you were, it seems like you were pretty seriously pursuing a whole additional science track at the same time. I definitely went to school unquestioningly. Like I'd never considered not going to college. Um, and um, I feel like that's just the way I grew up. It wasn't like, oh, that's an option. <laughs> In my family, I'm like, the embarrassing one academically. <laughs> I'm like, my <laughs> grandfather had like four PhDs. All my grandparents spoke 20 languages. And it's like one of those, um, one of those. You're uh, doing okay now. You're doing okay. Thanks. Thanks. But I definitely like, but you know, my father's definitely said to me many times, like, don't you think it's time for graduate school? <laughs> um, <laughs> so so going to college when people are like, yeah. wow, that what a what an amazing choice I was like that was like not not that wasn't a, an option on the table um but isn't that was, what parents are for to kind of put us in our place <laughs> <laughs> um but it was really amazing for me mainly I would say for the friends I've made over time that's been like the it's like a lasting education because you keep hearing what your interesting friends are doing with their interesting lives and <laughs> you keep so learning. do you guys do you big time actors hang out and talk about science Yes, yeah, is is there like a, is there a little science contingent yeah. within the um, acting world? I, no, but um, or I not yet. I, <laughs> you know what? There is one science that actors talk about a lot together when we work together, which is psychology. And I was going to say, yeah, actors we have talking email. about characters is the same thing as psychology class. Yes, yeah, so we have an email from Dylan who asks, Natalie, how often do you use psychology in your acting? It's the very question that you're about. To say. Is your knowledge in psychology ever helped you gain better insight into a character? Thank you, Dylan. This yeah. is uh, an email. Absolutely. I think that, um, uh, you know, my, my I remember in my, like, first day of intro to psych, the, they made us uh, write an observation paper, which was literally just us making an observation about human behavior that we had noticed and expanding on it without any research or anything, just us observing. And that's exactly what we do with acting. So you have two kids. Do you yes. lay some psychology on them all the time? <laughs> A lot of manipulation of them. No, I try. I mean, I try and understand with their feeling and what they're going through. Not always. I don't always remember that, but... Um, well, you're a parent. We're human. Yeah. Yeah, I think. But I think that's definitely a p big piece of it is just trying to put yourself in their place and not always assuming that the behavior is like them wanting to throw a tantrum to or wanting to destroy your be life. Right. Yeah. Cranky. Well, I mean, that, I mean, that paper you did, I mean, you were specifically studying object permanence and... When you have really young kids, one of the it's one of the most startling things is the point at which they start to realize that you know if you leave the room, you still exist. If a toy is right. hidden <laughs> under under the bed, that it's still there. Yeah, books have been written about peekaboo object permanence. Everybody, if you're just joining us, as I understand it, is even when the person leaves the room, there's a point when a human kid 
human baby realizes that the person still exists. Even when you take a blanket and cover up the uh, teddy bear, the teddy bear still exists. So this is object permanence. And you studied it with uh, infrared, right? Somehow infrared can penetrate uh, a very low energy level, I guess. Penetrate, yeah, very safe uh, way of yeah. studying a brain. <laughs> I've been doing it for years and look, I'm fine. No, no. Uh, <laughs> This is a way to study how much blood flow there was in the front of the brain, right? It's very cool. Yeah, you can see on. what part of the brain gets activated with certain activities. And then also at what age it changes because you look at younger babies when the teddy bear is covered with the, you know, blanket and the and older kids. And then you can kind of see what part of the brain gets activated um, because of the blood flow and also um, at what age that starts, which is, of course fascinating um because there's so many i mean there's so many of those cool. things that children attain that you start understanding like yeah how the how the kind of conscious brain works but it does fill you with wonder or joy i guess yeah oh yeah no it's it's really remarkable and i mean i don't know i think just realizing the magic of your own body that you take for granted which i'm sure a lot of us are um are recognizing now too, when so many things are threatening it, like even just to realize, oh my God, all this time my immune system was doing such a great job that we could all hang out and we could all like use the same bathrooms and restaurants and all of us were fine. Like that, that seems, um, that seems magic when, you know, for our lives until now, we completely took that for granted. So you're home, you're stuck at home, right? Are you, re-engaging with science or are you using science with your kids? Absolutely. Um, I, I recently read Robin Wall Kimmerer's book on moss, Gathering Moss. Oh, oh, tell us about that because I've heard of that book. I know almost nothing about it. What is so fascinating she's, about moss? She's, first of all, an incredible writer and an incredible scientist because she also brings in her indigenous um, culture to come to science with an appreciation of everything having a soul, a spirit, emotion, that we shouldn't have this kind of cold, objective, classically Western scientific view on nature. Um, and then- What's her What's her origin? You said indigenous. Do you see First Nations? Yeah, or, uh... she is. Um, she's a member of the Potawatomi Nation, and she is an incredible scientist and talks about how it's just that extreme wonder and love of of nature and attention that that leads you that is the basis of science too it's like an obsessive love that makes you uh observe so closely and then moss is so fascinating which you never think of because it's she describes it as sort of like the amphibian of the plant world because it's considered to be the first probably one of the first plants that came to land after algae, like it's kind of the transition from like sea plants to land plants. And so it's extremely primitive in structure, but has really complex behaviors. Like um, it can change from asexual to sexual reproduction in response to the environment and then can change gender within sexual reproduction. It can go from uh, female to male if it gets too crowded and needs to like send seeds farther away. Um, so it's, there, there are other species that, um, you know, can appear dead for like 10 years and then mm. be revivified by like one drop of water. And apparently we're the subject of debates for a long time in um, 
hundreds of years ago about the possibility of revivification for humans too. Um, yeah, well, if, if you love moss, you should be reading about slime molds. I don't slime know if molds had are a chance freaking to read about slime amazing. Molds, slime molds <laughs> okay, are amazing. Tell me more. What, where do I read about? Oh it? man, we're gonna. So we're gonna creep around. We're gonna slime and mold. We're gonna creep around. Oh, time to send some spores. So I'm gonna grow these crazy stalks in the middle. Where did you get the and they're yeah, Where did you get the genetic information for that? Oh, I carry it around with me. I'm a slime mold, and I'm gonna I'm gonna send these signals. And- right, there's no brain, there's no nervous system, and somehow they collectively decide how to move, how to reproduce, and there've been experiments of using them to perform simple computational tasks by kind of exploiting these chemical networks to form within the wow. slime mold. It's pretty cool. Stick around for more science rules after this. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. Science Rules is back. You've been at a lot of science fiction or maybe what I would call science-adjacent movies. Uh, you've been in the Star Wars movies. You've been in the Thor movies. You've been in some smaller ones like uh, like Lucy in the Sky. Annihilation also. Oh, An- Annihilation is a fabulous one. Very uh, relaxing. Are, are you... <laughs> Are are you drawn to those? I mean, are you drawn to things that have sort of scientific themes or or sort of some element of kind of science like imagination in them? You know, I never really um, thought of it that way, especially like for Thor and Star Wars. I wasn't like, oh, these right. are science movies, <laughs> even though I know they're technically in that category. But uh, I love the the kind of imagination of those films. Um, and uh, the spectacle. And that's kind of what I feel like going to see when I go to the movies is like kind of yeah. an escape from real life or, you know, you get to imagine a different world, even if it's darker. Like, Right. Well, well, the, in the Thor movies in particular, I know they, they had a partnership with the, with the Science and Entertainment Exchange uh, where they had to try to sneak some little bits of science in there. And there was like a mention of the Hubble Space Telescope and, well, and Easter dark eggs, matter yeah. and, you know, yeah, science Easter eggs. Uh I mean, those things must have been kind of fun for It you. was really fun. And I love that they, they also paired with like a STEAM program for girls to push young scientists um, into their curiosity. That was definitely very cool to be part of. So STEAM, science, technology, engineering, art, and math. Do you think of yourself as an artist or a scientist? Do you think of yourself as both? I definitely think of myself as an artist with a great love for and interest in science. What more could society want of us? 
My goodness, people. We don't want everybody to be a scientist. And I can tell you, we certainly do not want everybody to be an engineer. As I like to say, the fashion consequences of that alone would be very troubling. But we do want everybody to be scientifically literate. And we certainly want everybody to feel passion, to embrace art as as part of one's life. And so you you have just done remarkable things with this. When you get in these movies, do you feel like you're spreading the love of science or science literacy? Um, I hope so. I also think it's just a big deal to see women as scientists on screen, um, because I think that we all look for reflections of ourselves in art. We look for reflections of ourselves and and things we can aspire to. Um, and it, like, you know, has been said many times before, if you see it, you feel like you can be it. And I think that um, when we see women as politicians, when we see women as um, when scientists. When we rename NASA headquarters after a mathematician, a woman mathematician. Right. When we see women as, as fire people, um, you know, those make young girls watching think and see that it is a possibility and a worthy thing to aspire to because I definitely grew up with very few examples of that. And we can see that. So you are a public figure. You are very well known. Uh, You're using your uh, celebrity to influence people. What are you up to? What's important to you out there? Uh, Environment is definitely number one. And uh, because it's the, the most, it's how we live. We breathe air people. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Veganism or just eating fewer animal products, using fewer animal products is definitely the kind of branch of environmentalism that I feel most passionate about um, because there's just so many elements of it that are, it's just amazing because it's not um, purely about animal welfare. It's also about environment. Uh, It's also about social justice. You know, the the pollutants from animal factory farming are usually sprayed in very uh, underprivileged areas who have mm. higher rates of asthma and cancer and all of those horrific um, byproducts of, of animal farming. So, um, and then the people who work in the plants are, they've recently had the ice raids in the Mississippi meatpacking um, plants. So it's, it's, it's really um a tragedy on so many fronts and is such a simple way that all of us can influence many different ills. Right. So that's what I was asking. Like, what, what, what is your involvement and how do you try to get other people involved? I try and um, spread just like the joy and deliciousness of eating plant-based foods and encourage people that it doesn't have to be like an identity you take on or a full-time thing, if you just decrease, like if you once a day choose not to eat animal products or one day a week choose not to eat animal products, that it can be a much more easy possibility to imagine if you're not like cutting everything out completely, but just making a commitment to eat fewer animal products, which I think a lot of people are doing and that it can be really wonderful and joy bringing also. It doesn't have to feel like you're sacrificing something. This is fantastic. You know, this is a call-in show, Natalie, and we have a voicemail right along this line. Oh, great. uh, Let's uh, let's roll that digital recording. Hey, Bill, and hey, Natalie. This is Austin. 
Natalie, I know that you were vegan. I know how important that is for environmental sustainability. So what are some other tips that you have for making the foods that we eat more environmentally conscious? There you go. One of them is to be vegetarian one day a week. Yeah, Austin, that's a great question. If you can eat fewer animal products one day a week or once a day every day, um, that makes a huge difference. Buying food from local farms is a great way if you can. Trying to bring your own carriers, obviously like bags and stuff, to the grocery store or farmer's market or whatever you do, not using the plastic is is fantastic. Growing your own food, composting. Composting is a really big deal if you have the ability to do that. Um, also, if you have kids, it's a really good way to engage them. Uh, I meet a lot of people who've never watched a plant grow, who've never planted a seed right. and watched uh, something come from. I mean, it's just a ma- oak tree comes from an acorn, people. So, Natalie, do do you engage with your kids about these things? Do you talk to them about 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 science and environmentalism and veganism? Oh, yeah, we we have a vegan household, so we talk about it all the time, and we also are lucky very lucky to have a garden. So our kids are growing up, going outside and picking tomatoes and picking basil and, you know, understanding what grows on a vine and what grows in the earth and what grows on a tree, which is very, very lucky. I mean, we're in California and, you know, I know that's, that's very privileged, uh, a very privileged position, but it's very different from how I grew up. Like I thought strawberries grew all year round, (laughs) you know? Well, but I have a question. I mean, you're talking a lot about things in terms of personal responsibility, uh, which is great. But I also feel like, you know, we have these global problems that require collective action. And I'm wondering how you balance those two things. You know, there's a limit of how far individual choice can go without larger systemic changes. That's also, that's true. And that's a big, that's a very common um, criticism of the like, individual veganism as an environmental statement. But I think that uh, as consumers, it's one of the biggest impacts we can make on the large corporations is to show our desires. I mean, look at all the corporations that are transitioning from animal-based products to plant-based products. I mean, some of the biggest investors in these sort of like new vegan things are animal factory farming you know, corporations. Well, fa- I mean, fast food restaurants embracing uh, you know, plant-based meat is pretty astonishing. And that's Tell because, largely man. because of consumer demand. And, that's you know, right. yeah. consumer demands are the ones that made Walmart have organic foods and are driving, you know, plant-based milks to be much more valuable companies than than conventional milk. So I think that consumers have a big, big part of it and individuals become collectives when enough people do yeah. it. So mm. so I don't think anyone should underestimate their their impact as an individual, especially if it's just behaviors that we're doing three times a day. It's like one of the or easiest more. ways to yeah. have an impact without even thinking about it. I have a technical question about veganism for you. I know several vegan friends. How do you deal with vitamin B12? I actually found these stickers that you can put behind your ear. They have them at our local pharmacy and it like slowly lets it absorb. You can also like, get uh, shots, which is not patch. as pleasant. My niece gets shots. Yeah. yeah. Would you ever try a uh, impossible burger? Would you try something like that? Uh, yes. And I have, I have many times. <laughs> um, they're very delicious. My 
French formerly meat eating husband said he couldn't tell the difference. <laughs> well, I think for, for a lot of people, there's a certain sense that, I mean, veganism still has, it seems a little weird or an eccentricity. And, you know, I think when it comes to the fast food restaurants, veganism seems a lot less weird if it's, 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 if it's right next to the Whoppers and the Big Macs. Yeah. And, and also there's, I think there's been a perception that um, veganism is more expensive as a lifestyle um, and less accessible. Really? Yeah. That a lot of like tofus wow. or tempehs or whatever are kind of like expensive products. But really, I mean, to me, it's like rice and beans. Rice and beans is like the core of the vegan diet and um, is like one of the least expensive foods you could, you know, so you could ever to me, have. it's not that it's more expensive. It's just more complicated, but it's getting, as Corey points out, it's getting less and less complicated. Right. It's much more and accessible. You, and for you and your family, it's just a day at the office, right? It's just how you roll. Yeah. This seems like another place where, I mean, movies could exert some influence. As you said, you know, you see women role models or you see you know, people of color on screen or, you know, you don't see people smoking cigarettes on screen um, to the extent that you show, you know, what people eat. I mean, it seems like it's sort of another, you know, subtle little wedge place that you could get in the movies. I don't know. Is that something that you've thought about? Is that something people talk about? Um, that's that's interesting. Um, it, it's certainly true. Um, I've helped be part of documentaries about about the issues around um, factory farming. And so that's felt like an appropriate place. Usually in, in movies that are about fictional people, I want to make choices for them, for like the right. characters that are more in line with what their character would be like. Um, so I'm always eating like pretend vegan versions of a steak mm -hmm. or, a, you know, chicken or whatever in a scene. The, the prop department is always very challenged to, you know, recreate uh, because I'm usually thinking about like, would it, what would this character be like? Sure. But it's, it's a good point that, you know, I could have my subtle activism by having all my, all my characters so be eating, you know, line, tofu. Your husband's French, right? Mm -hmm. My ancestors are French. I guess I'm a quarter French or something. So what happens is you get up in the morning and you start talking about breakfast. Then as you're finishing breakfast, you talk about lunch. Then as lunch is about halfway through, you talk about what you're going to have for dinner. And that's what they talk about. Oh, Cousin Bill, let's eat. So You know who else I'm is like that? Jews. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, we go yeah. together really well. <laughs> I'm like, while I'm having my food, I'm definitely talking about the next food. And like my conversations <laughs> with my mother are almost all recipes. We just like talk in recipes. I, I just have to say that I would think the toughest thing with veganism is missing brisket. But that's just that's just me. <laughs> I, I did pre pre nine years old. I was a big brisket fan. That was okay. kind of my 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 favorite. For those of us of different ancestry, uh, it's also called pot roast. Pretty much, kind of the same <laughs> thing. I know you're very active in this idea that everybody's in this together, and that bringing raising the standard of living of people in the developing world is very important. I understand you're really into so called micro loans. Is that right? Yeah, I've, I've I've worked with a few different organizations on um, how to impact the developing world. One was Finca that I've worked with, and they do micro lending, which is small loans. Um, how to, big is a small loan? 
Um, you know, it varies depending on where it is. I mean, it can be anywhere from a hundred dollars to they're, they're even graduating into kind of like medium sized loans. Cause some of the clients really grow their businesses. So they'll start at a hundred and end up getting a hundred thousand or something like it can go up to like quite significant loans, um, because they want to be able to grow and service those clients. But what they realized was that banks weren't serving the, um, the very poor and that there wasn't a place for people to put their savings. There wasn't a place to um, get small loans to start your small business. Um, And then they created this model that's like a community. It's called village banking where there's a group of it's usually women because um, in a lot of these villages, the women are primarily the business um, uh, owners and um, they've also found that women are incredibly reliable clients Um, so they create a community and then they get the loan communally and then they insure each other. So if one woman defaults on her loan or can't make it or gets sick or whatever, something goes wrong with her business, the other women come in and pitch in. Um, and so they're, they're like a, and they also support each other in their businesses and help each other and talk with each other. Um, it's really, it's really an incredible, incredible model. So, uh, psychologist, Natalie, why do you think it is? that women run the businesses in these villages? Well, um, their, their tendency, and who knows if this is a socialization or a biological difference, because I'm not sure maybe there's, there's research on it. <laughs> but um, they said that women tend to diversify uh, more, whereas men will put all their money into one thing. So if you give the man uh, a loan, that was the experience that Finca had explained to me They'll put it all in, you know, buying chickens. And then um, if something goes wrong, you know, that doesn't work out where the women will tend to put a little bit in chickens, a little bit in some plants, a little bit in, you know, savings for their children, a little bit in, you know, paying their daughter's school fees. And and then the entire thing kind of works better. It's like a kind of investment portfolio that we would classically think of in, in Western terms. So it was interesting just to understand that. Um, and also uh, there's, there are a lot of issues in, in terms of um, like societal things that draw men away, whether it's of course military in some places or higher addiction rates than among women. There, there's a lot of different factors that go into it, of course. So are your kids being brought up with the same science stuff that you were brought up with? Yeah, they probably don't have the same because our dinner table talk is much more about, you know, dance or film or uh, art. Uh, but they definitely um, get it from my my parents send them those like kiwi crates all the time, which. Oh, man, we love. you. Yeah, they love. And my son the other night was just like making I guess it was like baking soda and vinegar vinegar kind of thing that they put into the crate and everything was just exploding everywhere and he was just laughing and having so much fun and um yeah so so they definitely have yeah and my father actually just got um my son a microscope for his birthday oh, too cool. so so we're definitely getting we're definitely getting the same kind of uh heavy science influence that I had What's also striking in your documentaries, I mean, you talked about your interest in animal kindness and and, and animal awareness. I was just struck, you know, 
you did the documentary Eating Animals, you know, specifically about the food industry, but you also did the dolphin documentary that's much more about, you know, the, the animals as part of a whole balanced ecosystem. Are, are those also messages that you're, that you're kind of bringing to the dinner table, bringing to your kids, you know, trying to try to spread that way? I think it's empathy um, in general. You know, I think a big part of empathy should start for animals and should start in nature and extends to humans naturally um, from that because in the factory farms, they find that people who work in the slaughterhouses have much higher rates of domestic violence at home. The men um, are, mm. it's it's largely men and their domestic violence is much higher. You can see that it extends, the, the way we behave towards animals uh, affects our mindset and the way we behave towards humans. And um, if we look at living creatures as being sentient, as having feelings, as, as, as feeling pain, um, as being affected by the way we treat them, that absolutely has an effect on the way we look at other humans too, which we're obviously still, everyone is, is, has a lot of work to do to look at other humans as feeling pain and being affected by how we treat them. And yeah, there's still some bad stuff going on in the world. I don't know if you've noticed. Yeah. So um, it certainly seems like a, a great place to start our, our behavior towards towards animals and the natural world. And maybe it even goes the other way. Maybe if we had more empathy for other humans, then maybe we would also be able to look at um, non-human life in a, in a more um, empathetic way you know, loving. Yeah, but that's interesting. So, so you're looking, you look at veganism as an empathy issue as much as it is an environmental issue, or maybe the two go hand in hand. Oh, definitely. I, I, I think I, I think when I began, when I started at nine years old, it was only an empathy issue. It was only, I love animals and I don't want to eat them or hurt them. And then, um, over time it grew to include this like larger understanding that it was affecting our environment. Science rules. will be right back. From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. You're listening to Science Rules. Now, it's, I don't know if you heard about this, but there's this big epidemic going on. This coronavirus. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, what steps do you take at home? Do you have anything you tell families? Well, I think that it's astonishing that we know so little still about it. What do you think? Do you think it's like, is this normal that like, what, what are we six months in and we know so little about what it actually is, how it spreads, all of that? Uh, no, I think it's people have talked about this possibility for decades that, you know, as I've said, I've done whole shows on this thing. Your enemy is not lions and tigers and bears. Your enemy is germs and parasites. So when you get seven and a half billion people able to travel around the world so easily, 
when this virus takes hold someplace, it, it ends up with all the characteristics it would need to be very successful. You know, it doesn't kill the host right away. Apparently, it hides out for a few days before you get symptoms. And uh, this whole thing about whether or not it has agency, it's making decisions. No, it's just something that happens when you have all these people able to get sick. And then, of course, in the United States, it's how can we do everything wrong? What else can we do wrong? Well, also, How an, else can an, we an incredible lack of, of unified, coordinated response, which I think, I mean, I th- to me, that's been one of the striking things because, look, I mean, COVID-19 is bad, but every epidemiologist we've talked to said, you know, this is far from the worst case scenario. You know, you, there could easily be another pandemic that's quite a bit worse. And this is in some sense, you know, this is our chance to learn how to do better. A warm up. Uh, but it's really grim, you know, that we keep the United States, uh, the world's most influential culture, uh, keeps doing it all wrong. And it's very frustrating. But uh, to your point, it all starts with the individual. So if you're when you make choices about what you eat and what you tell your kids you're going to do and uh, have science as part of your everyday world uh, growing up, it affects everybody in the world eventually. And man, we are living through a time, what an extraordinary time where it looks like everything's going to change uh, or everything has the potential to change very quickly. Yeah. I mean, that part of it is is tremendously optimistic. Maybe this time there will be some real meaningful change in shutting down some of the unregulated meat markets and things that have been incredible vectors for disease transmission. Do you talk that over with your kids? <laughs> Do you talk about this is just something that's happening we got to deal with? Yeah, we definitely talk about it um, because, of course, there's so many practical things that we, we've had to talk to them about why, why you have to wear a mask, when you have to wear a mask, why we have to wash our hands, um, why we can't see our friends. Yeah, what's happening with school? Right. I mean, that's also a lot of navigating for ourselves because, like you said, without a coordinated government response, it's like every person has to kind of read the science and make the decisions of like, okay, am I going to have a play date or am I going to, is it okay to go ha- at an Airbnb or take a plane or is it okay to go to a protest? You know, like all of those things that we've had to basically figure out ourselves because- Was that neighbor kid tested? Yeah. yeah, Right. Right. And, and every, right. Every parent, in the absence of really clear guidelines, every parent, you have to think, do I trust this parent? Is this parent being careful? Is this a good person for my kid to have a play date with? It's, it's complicated. And it's even unclear to me, I mean, maybe you know this, is like, if you get tested, does that mean, like, is there a lag in what Well, the thing days, is you like, can get reinfected. You can get infected on the way home from the test. Well, you know, yeah, there the, we are. And, there's, and there's a big difference. There's a big difference between the, the PCR test and the antibody test tell you very different things. Right. But the PCR test, like the, the current infection, is, is it testing your like from four days ago? Like if you caught it yesterday and you get tested today. The, the accuracy goes up. The, the longer ago you were infected, the higher the accuracy of the test is. So if you were infected yesterday, it might pick it up. But it might not. I think the the effectiveness. I think if it's less than three days, the the, the effectiveness is something like less than forty percent. If it's more than a week, it's 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 eighty percent. Right. So getting the test is like helpful, but it's not foolproof at all. It's not all. definitive. Correct. So it, this is where personal action affects it. Where if you wait four days to get the test from the last time you think you might have been exposed, then you have a better chance of getting a reliable test. 
Right. But, what but, we all but then want, there's also the personal responsibility that if you thought you might have gotten infected four days ago and you can't know yet, you need to be taking yourself out of circulation during that that's time. Right. Yeah. And it's just, but then you got to get kids. Something you got to do. Hey, Corey. Wait, wait, Bill, I hear something. Do you hear that? <laughs> I do. I that do. is thunder, Corey. And thunder only happens when it's lightning, which means it is time for the lightning round. Natalie, are you ready for a lightning round? Lightning yes. fast questions, lightning fast answers. I hope I have the answers. You've been an astronaut, a space queen, a ballerina, an astrophysicist. Which of your roles would you most like to have as a job? Oh, astronaut, for sure. There you go. If you hadn't become an actor, what would you be doing right now? Would you be writing science papers? What would you be doing? Bookstore, maybe. I'd maybe have a bookstore. She'd have a bookstore. Uh, You've been in a lot of movies. What's the most underrated one? Um... Anywhere but here, maybe? All right. Anywhere but here, everybody. Check it out. Turn it up loud. Download it. What movie do you wish you could have been in? Oh. Is there anyone? That could clip movies made you know, from another time. While you were alive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like Singing in the Rain? Oh, yeah. There you go. Okay. Uh, we Getting this set up, we messed around with a lot of headphones and microphones and connectors. What's the coolest piece of technology that's been in movies that you wish existed? Um, is hoverboards too obvious? <laughs> no, it's not cool. at all. I think, I think that's a pretty cool answer. Now we'll gently, the rain is slowing down, the lightning, the thunder's calming down. If you were queen of the forest, if you were running the show, is there something you would do or a group of things you would do, thing you would change about the world? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, I would, yes, do everything to cut down on animal farming and change the way people are allowed to travel and all the, all the measures for, uh, environmental change, which, which I think is interesting that we're having it now. Kind of, we have a taste of it. Like the fact that no one can travel by plane right now, or I mean, very few people are, it feels like, wow, what if we could do this all the time. What if we could not drive everywhere all the time? Wouldn't that yeah. be great? Yeah. Uh, for example. Yeah. What if the world could just be a little, a little cleaner, a little greener, and a little kinder? So, you know, say all the time, raise the standard of living of women and girls, and everything gets better it's true. for everybody. So thank you so much for taking the time. Why did you want to be on our oh, podcast? Oh, I'm such a big I mean, fan cool. of we you. Love you're on. Are you kidding me? This is the coolest thing. I love this. This is like a total joy. Total. No, it's we who are experiencing the coolest thing having you I've here. I've been trying not to, um, you know, fan out. So thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, wow. That's so cool. Uh, well, think about coming back after you've solved all the world's problems. Yes. Uh, I, I will I, definitely not be solving all the old all the world's problems, but I would love to come back. <laughs> really? You only have to solve one to, in order to come back. We, we're not going to make you solve all of them. See, Corey and I have been doing this podcast for a year, and the world is still a little screwed up. I can't yeah, understand it. I, I, it's confusing. It's, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, thank you so much, Natalie. Thank you so much for taking the time. Our guest today has been Natalie Portman. She has a degree in psychology from Harvard. She published a few scientific papers. I know you've all read them. And she's been in a few movies maybe you've heard of. So remember, when it comes to getting into the minds of the biggest characters in the galaxy, science rules. 
Now, if you like Science Rules, and I hope you do, please take a moment to rate and review it in Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher. It helps us out. It helps us find out who's listening to show. It helps us find out what you all want to listen to. So thank you in advance. So be sure to look at my socials, as the kids call them, for more information on our upcoming guests. I'm at Bill Nye on all those things, the Twitter, the Instagram, whatever the kid, the ticking and the talking. Meanwhile, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, which is you remember that you call, you talk, you hang up, give us a call at 201-472-0785, 201-472-0785, or submit a question to your homepage, askbillnye.com. If it's not your homepage, get on that. Science Rules is produced by Harry Huggins and the very same Corey S. Powell. Hey! This episode was mixed by Frank Olson. Casey Holford composed our original theme. Josephine Mortarana is our executive producer. Chris Bannon is the CCO, Chief Content Officer here at Stitcher. And at Stitcher, everyone, Science Science rules. Rules! One more thing. No, wait. Three more things. Wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. Be safe out there, everyone. And wear a mask. Wear a a mask. mask. Stitcher. From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions.